0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, uh, we're going to talk about sewage because it's a problem here in Hamilton and not telling us about it is an even bigger problem. We're going to chat about math. A lot of stories going on with math. Uh, Yeah, like math, like the subject. Amazing stuff that they're trying to do in Seattle. Stick around and you'll find out what that's all about. And we will head out to Calgary to talk to our buddy Bubba O'Neill in preparation for the Grey Cup. He's out there and you want to know something? Calgary. The place that's supposed to be freezing cold, it's a bit nicer there than it is here right now. What is going on? This is backwards for a great cup week. Anyway, that's what's happening. Stick around and enjoy.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: I want to read you something. and it's, it's right off the city's website, Hamilton.ca. You can go and look it up yourself, and I'm going to read it to you to save you some of the time. It's under the 2016 to 2025 strategic plan. So... We're in the middle of it. It's not expired. It's not something coming up. We are in the teeth of this strategic plan. Here is what it says about the city of Hamilton and about our priorities, speaking of the city. Hamilton has an open, transparent, and accessible approach to city government that engages with and empowers all citizens to be involved in their community. Let me read that one more time because it's really important to what's going on right now. Hamilton has an open, transparent, and accessible approach to city government that engages with and empowers all citizens to be involved in their community. That is the city's own words about city government, about our municipal city council. That is what they are supposed to be doing. And I saw that today, and I was already really ticked off about what's been happening with this human waste raw sewage spill 24 if you missed it yesterday if you haven't read the story of the spec tw- over the last four and a half four four and a half years 24 billion with a b liters of raw sewage has leaked out into the into a creek into coots paradise it is a i mean it's just it's an unfathomable amount yesterday steve buce the reporter who broke the story mentioned and just for context That if you were to draw a line from Main Street to Barton and from James Street to Gage, you can picture how big an area that is. Now fill that six and a half feet deep with raw sewage and you get an idea how much has leaked into our water, which is terrible. I mean, look, there's no way around that. It's, It's unbelievable that somehow this was able to happen, that there was no discovery of this. There was no check on this somehow that there was no ability to discover that this was an issue, whatever the reason. I don't know how this happens. I don't know how it happens. I mean, I just know that it has happened. There's no, and no one's disputing it at this point anymore. Like it's not like the city is saying, Oh no, abuse was wrong. The spectator was wrong. It was only 12 pails full. No, no. It was 24 billion liters of this stuff that got out and got into the water. I've suddenly got this visual in my head. I was thinking about this today. It's like our waterway now is, it's that sewer grate from Shawshank Redemption when Andy Dufresne has to slide through the human poop to get to freedom. That's our water. But as bad as it is that this happened, as bad as it is that somehow city staff missed this, and is almost as inexcusable as this, you do say to yourself, I do anyway, you know, mistakes can happen. I mean, it's a it's a a whopper. I don't really understand how something like this happens and nobody catches it. But but what I find absolutely beyond angering, beyond acceptable and beyond excuse is that city council kept this quiet. They knew about it. They had reports. They had two reports and they intentionally kept this quiet. January 16, 2018, and September 4 show city staff have been recommending the details of this bill be kept secret from the public as long as possible because of potential legal action the city could face. Council, the city, has decided not to tell us about this stuff. To try and save themselves lawsuits, I guess, whatever else. Now, I am still trying to figure out how finding out now as opposed to six months ago, helps their case if they were to be sued by somebody. I don't understand how that could possibly be the case. I don't I don't know how that makes it better. Oh, well, they didn't find out till November of 2019 as opposed to March, so our case is much, much stronger. No, 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 no. All this can possibly mean is the hope was that this was never going to come out, that we were never going to find out, that this was going to be kept secret forever. I'm, I'm waiting for the explanation that, that suggests otherwise. And that to me is inexcusable, inexcusable. This is a council you will recall that has just been dealing with transparency issues around the Red Hill Creek thing. Now, that one, I'm going to cut council a little bit of slack on that one, I think, because in that particular case, at least as I understand it, you had reports that for the most part, most members of council, if not all members of council, weren't aware existed. They were in some staff member's desk or on his computer. So, I don't think you can fully blame council on that one because they didn't know that existed. So how could they possibly release it when they found out about it, they said something. Here, they know about it. They have known about it and they've hidden it. They've kept it quiet. They have not released it. They've not come clean. They've not gone to the public. They've not lived up to their promise, their mandate to be open, transparent, and accessible as city government in this city is supposed to be. That to me is unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm happy to hear from you. I want to know what the result of this should be, because there's got to be a result and it's got to be more in my mind than simply finding one or two sacrificial lamb staff people and saying, well, you're fired and you can take all the blame for this. This is bigger than that. This to me has to have some repercussions on council. Because the hiding is as bad as the doing, that's my view anyway. 905 Nine zero five six four five three two two one star nine zero zero. I'd love to hear your idea. What should the repercussions be to this? the The answer is probably there's going to be none. Not to the councilors. Not to the real. Not to the city. Not to most people. What should it be though?
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on nine hundred chml.
0: We are talking about the raw sewage, twenty four billion liter leak uh, as was pointed out by somebody who called in to Ben some of it was stormwater runoff okay so it's not 24 billion liters of poo if that makes it somehow a little better it's it's only 24 billion liters heavily infused with poo <laughs> i don't think that really change a lot. Um, Here's the problem, and I want to hear from you what should be done, because a couple other things I forgot to mention. One, it came out today, it's not just us that didn't hear about this, the Royal Botanical Gardens, which monitors and manages Coot's Paradise, they weren't told, they say, about this. They kept it secret from them. City Council kept it secret from them. And the other thing is, what we're hearing is that somehow we're probably, the city is probably going to get a big fine from the Ministry of the Environment, something like $6 million. Explain to me how it is, since we're going to end up paying for that, how we should be responsible for this. Why would I be paying more taxes for something that I had absolutely nothing to do with, and we already pay enough taxes? I see zero reason taxpayers should be on the hook for one dime of this, but I don't know what the alternative is. What should be done? What should be the outcome of this? Doris joins us first. Doris, how are you tonight?
2: I'm fine. Um, There's two portions to this. First of all, whoever was the department head who's supposed to be overseeing the individuals who hopefully were supposed to be checking either once a week or once a month, both of them should be axed. Or uh, the employees who should have been doing it, they should both be axed. Finally,
0: unless Let me jump in for one sec. I want to get your second point. Unless there is some compelling reason why, that we can't understand right now, why it would have been unlikely or difficult to have known this was happening. I will, I'm still waiting to hear that, but otherwise I agree with you, Doris. Go ahead, your second point.
2: The second point, uh, you're saying the councillors, well, the elections took place in October of, of uh, last year. Yep. Therefore, there's got to be there's five new councillors, so they would not have been involved in finding out about it in January or the previous September, because they weren't there. Uh,
0: okay, and, and I'm, I will wait to see if they knew something about it. My understanding, uh, now, and I, I will be corrected on this, if the new counselors, if I find out otherwise, but my understanding is that it, it has been recently uh, known about, but you could be right, you could be right. So if, if the five new counselors are completely innocent in this, Doris, I'm with you on that one as well, if we find that out. So okay. thank you very much for the call. I sincerely Bye-bye. appreciate that. Uh, let me go to Dave. Dave, how are you tonight? Hello, Dave. Hello. Uh, yeah. Hi. Hi. What should be done about this? What should be the outcome of this be, or the upshot of this?
3: Um, well, I agree with Doris. I think um, anybody who was who should have been involved in overseeing these runoff points should be should be axed for sure. Um, and uh, if they weren't doing their job to monitor that, then. Yeah, that, and that's the perfect reason why they should lose their job.
0: Are you okay? Um, Are you okay with council trying to keep this thing very quiet so you didn't find out about it?
3: Absolutely not. And I think um, you know what we we kind of deserve it. Um, we continually vote in people. I'm not even necessarily talking local municipal right now, but um, we just finished a federal election, and we vote in we vote in corrupt governments. And we're we're okay with that because we're just okay with that. So I guess we we made our bed and we get to sleep in it.
0: But Dave, I I get your point, and the election is a referendum, so we can do something to get rid of councillors if we're not happy with them. I get that, but to me, this is a different thing. We're talking. We didn't know this existed, and we didn't have an opportunity. This to me should have repercussions for people who keep this thing secret. I don't know what those could possibly be.
3: Well, my my point was a little bit more generic. Sure. um, Just with respect to our voting practices.
0: Absolutely. And we do have that option. Dave, I thank you for the call. I really do appreciate you giving a shout tonight. Uh, Let me go to John. John, how are you?
1: Hey, Scott. My goodness. What's going on at City Hall? I mean, first the report on the Red Hill is buried. Now this one here, they know about it, they didn't say nothing. Um,
2: and then we hear all these reports that we have a blue algae problem in the harbour front there. I wonder if this is related to that uh, algae problem. Uh,
0: who knows? Who knows? It, it could well be. I, I, it comes back to me, I don't know what could possibly be done. I don't think there's anything that we can do... For uh, directed at counselors or to make counselors responsible for this in some way or responsive to this. But again, you and I, in all likelihood, are now between the fine that's probably coming and the cost that it's going to be to fix this all up and everything else. We're going to be paying millions in added taxes. And I don't see any reason we should be.
2: And you know what? Just just add it to the bill, increase our property yep, tax five yep, percent. Yep. Do whatever you got to do to pay it all. That, that's that's. I mean, what else? We're, we're our, our our hands are tied as uh, taxpayers in this city, John. So I think we got to be some action there at City Hall.
0: Thanks for the call, John. Got to run. I got one more to go, Mike. I got let me get to Mike I, if I can get the, there we go Mike I got hey, 20 Scott, seconds it.
2: Mike speaking Scott this yeah is totally totally unacceptable you know it comes to a broader perspective I'll be quick right and it's just that the whole thing is a whole country the whole city you know John F Kennedy were coming up to his death he said one time ask not what the country can do for you but what you can do for the country it's a lot of people out there and I'm sorry to say just go in do the bare amount of work and go home it's we need a lot more better response from politicians and from the public in general. And I'll leave it at that.
0: Mike, I appreciate the call. Thank you very okay, much. Yeah, take care. Uh, we got to go to a break. You know, here's here's one that came to mind today. You want to cover this stuff up? Cover this stuff up? That's fine. In the spring, we're going to have a council swim off in the harbor. Every councillor gets to go have a little swim in Hamilton Harbour and take a big glass with them to take a drink of the water. If it's okay, if you don't mind. If it's not worth telling us then you wouldn't mind just jumping right in and having a well no one's going to do that cuz they'll die. It'll kill them. Come on. We 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 have to do better than this. We and we have to we can I think it's reasonable to expect better than this.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Scott Radley show. If you don't know this song, get to know it. Just go on iTunes or download it or something. It's um from a band called Goodnight Sunrise, and that's not what we were going to be talking about, but we may as well bring it up because Vanessa Vacari is in. Now, you know her if you listen to this show regularly as the math guru. We've had her on to talk about math, and that's what we're going to talk about, but she's also in this band, which proves that you don't have to be a nerd if you're into math, right, I think? Yeah. And they're playing in Hamilton tonight, so she was driving through town, and I said, come in studio, and uh, so that's them, so go look it up. You guys sound good.
4: Thank you so much. Are you coming tonight?
0: I'm going to try to come, after the gym maybe, if (laughs) I still have any steam left.
4: You have to kind of say yes.
0: Absolutely, I'll be in the (laughs) front row. If you guys want to
4: meet Scott, come out tonight. (laughs) Absolutely, I'll be in the front row. (laughs) We're playing at the St. Hollywood at 10.15, just so everyone knows.
0: Ben will be there. Ben's on the other side of the glass. Apparently, he's going to be there as well. That's yes, so, um, amazing.
4: The whole crew. The whole crew. That I've never met before. Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, but we have had Vanessa on before, and the, we have wanted to have you every time back because oh. talking math to people is generally like pulling teeth mm-hmm. because not many math people are, I shouldn't generalize, but are great at talking about math. But oh my God, such a stereotype. It is. It really is. But it's tough to talk <laughs> interestingly about math sometimes. And so- you do it well, and there were a couple things that I had pulled aside in the last couple of days. And I said, I'm going to do that. Well, we'll wait for Venice to come in. And it starts with this one. There is a uh, There was a report that came out in the Science of Learning on Friday that seems to fly in the face of what most people believe about math, and that is that when they do brain scans of young girls and young boys when doing math, mm-hmm. they're exactly the same.
4: You know what's so funny? I remember this came out last week, and I posted it everywhere, saying how is this news like how is how is this news like you know it's so funny every year research comes out to show that wow shocking girls and boys brains are the same when it comes to math and every year people are like oh my god I like
0: but nobody believes it
4: but I just I think that is like let's pause on that for a second how messed up is that why wouldn't you believe that what is so shocking about that
0: well, I think it's probably because we look at Marx for, leave math aside for a second. When it comes to reading, mm-hmm. boys are way behind girls. And so there's this belief in school. Anyway, right now there's this belief that girls' brains somehow latch on to the creative side more or the that kind of thing and boys' brains latch on. And it's, it's been this way forever that I think people have had this belief. Mm-hmm. And it's all And so this one, what makes this interesting, I think, this particular study is that they've done the, the brain scans like we're not just talking about oh the numbers match up right. like you're looking at how the brain is working right. and it's the same.
4: Mhm. Well, it's so funny. I gave a talk last night to a group of parents and I try to emphasize this every single time I'm dealing with people who have small children um and just because I work in education a lot, we're so focused on nature versus nurture, right? People put so much emphasis on nature. Like, you know, what does the brain look like? What are we born with? What, like, we use terms like, you've heard people say this about their kids, right? Oh, he just has a gift, right? Like, things like that, right? When they, like, come out of, (laughs) come out, right? Like,
0: He's in Montessori.
4: Yeah, you know, (laughs) it's this idea of we really, really emphasize what we can't control and forget about the fact that actually what shapes most of a person's skills and identity is actually nurture. So if you look at, have you read any uh, Mark Manson or not Mark Manson, wrong person, um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell? Yes, absolutely. So the tipping point where he talks about how what many athletes and famous people who are really good at their sport or art have in common is 10,000 hours of practice, right? right? Like that shapes them more than where they were born, how they were born, their socioeconomic status even, right? So,
0: But even with that argument though, there's usually somewhere before they get to the 10,000 hours, there Mm -hmm. is a talent that is naturally there that they're, working on or a passion and this is saying in math that's not even the case case at all we're starting exactly on an equal playing field
4: but even when you talk about like a gift or a natural talent like let's say it was sports right like you're like oh you know at a very early age my child exhibited like you know they were just really good at running Mm -hmm. let's say i think we have to i think we often attribute things to nature that we don't really know for a fact are attributable to nature like we don't know how they were brought up we don't know what kind of like environment they're in or what values were being emphasized maybe they had a best friend that like they really liked playing tag I don't know I'm making this up right like um and that's why all of a sudden they developed a passion for running we are born with things but I think the role of those things is much smaller and again like here you're talking about a brain scan so we're actually looking at we're th- actually looking at it. Yeah. Right? And I think
0: there's two different stories here because on the one hand, if you're saying, okay, like uh, I don't believe that no matter how many hours I practiced, I would ever have been Wayne Gretzky. Right. I, no matter how much I practice. Do you think that? I do think I would never have been that. I think he had a gift, but okay. So you're talking now about the very gifted. So the- Absolutely. The super gifted math people, Absolutely. I think their brains are different. Yes. Here, we're talking about, okay, next step down, next step the, down. Average, yeah. the average person. But the thing that doesn't tell us, because this is always a thing, boys are better at math, girls are better at English, whatever. The one thing that doesn't say is what happens when you start hitting puberty or something. Does the brain change? So when they're very young, when they're five or six or seven, boys and girls, same. Do you think, though, that as you develop that there could be a change that makes boys generally better at math?
4: Okay, I will tell you 100%, first of all, We boys are not better at math. Like we're. We're just done with that, That's it has been completely disproven. In fact, in high school, when you look at marks, if you just wanna look at marks, girls outperform. So they actually have higher math marks than boys. Where you're seeing this stereotype play out is because when you then move on and look at the general workforce, or if you even talk to kids about their abilities, girls will constantly say that they're not good at math, even when they're better than the guy sitting next to them. I have a great story about when I used to teach grade 10, there was a group of girls who were getting 90s and I handed back a math test and I said, to this girl, Sarah, I said, I want you to put an answer on the board. And she looked at the answer. She'd gotten it right. And she was like, oh, my God, I can't. I'd, I It was a fluke that I got it right. Like, I have no idea. Like, I can't put it up. This guy sitting next to her who had bombed his test, he'd gotten a 40, he was like, miss, I'll put up the answer. I was like, you have no idea. So there is a lot that changes. but Confidence it is, is great. It, it is great. But those are the things that change. It's not like your biological makeup changes. However, socially, girls are taught that... They they they're not as good at
1: math. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: In studio with Vanessa Vicaria, who is known as the math guru. You can find her online. If you have math problems, if your kids or grandkids have math problems, look her up. Seek help. She she I mean she goes by the name of the math guru because she's good at fixing people's math.
4: Deficiencies, problems, (laughs) lack of confidence, Math traumas. I'm really good at dealing with your math trauma.
0: I've had a few of those. We all have. I've had a few of those. All right. Speaking of trauma, I got to ask you this. You don't know this story. Oh my gosh. I read this just before I came in today and I said, oh man, this seems to me to be as out there as, uh," anyway, let me just get to it. In Seattle, there's a school district in Seattle that has decided that math has been appropriated by Western culture as a system of oppression and power. Therefore, it's now going to incorporate uh, ethnic studies and other marginalized people of color into the math program to try to help make it less offensive.
4: I like wish everyone could just see my face right now. And look, we're all
0: wanting people to be treated equally and all this kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm looking at this going, this seems to me like an absolute surefire way to lose sight of math and to make it worse for kids than better. There's a place for this kind of instruction. I'm just not sure it's in the math curriculum.
4: Wait, so wait, do you know any more? Like, what are they, what is the plan? Like, what are we doing with the, did you say ethnic minorities? Was Seattle's that the Seattle's
0: proposals, <laughs> uh, they're discussing the role ethics studies should play in the curricula. So of somehow math. they're going to, yes, mm. drive social justice stuff into math which seems
4: so okay what's interesting (laughs) is one criticism of the math curriculum is that it's like too abstract right we just teach these concepts and no one knows what to do with them so I actually am very for taking an interdisciplinary approach and being like okay so in this math class we are going to talk about social justice and we're gonna talk about like business and percentages and like paying a mortgage and like bigger higher level things like inequities and how to calculate like actual diversity percentages that could be really cool
0: but is math oppressive
4: Uh, (laughs) by
0: itself is the
4: idea of math being culturally appropriated what I'm wondering is by whom and from whom who did we we like who did Western culture appropriate math from
0: but is I don't even understand how you could appropriate math
4: like that. This is the okay, thing. Okay, if though. I wear if I wear a <gasps>
0: sombrero, you could say I'm appropriating Mexican culture. You would be yes. If I am solving a quadratic equation, who am I appropriating? That's what I'm wondering.
4: Like I'm really wondering, and also too, like you know, it is funny just on a higher level. Like we are talking a lot about cultural appropriation now, right? So it's it's entirely um, a legitimate issue. But I think we do have to really remember when we're taking things like this too far. Like the the goal of math is, you know, to be teaching kids how to problem solve and how to go out into the world and think innovatively and have all these tools in their toolbox. Now, I mean, there are lots of arguments on who created what concepts in math, like who discovered zero, for example, whatever, any of that stuff. Okay, but
0: let's say that that person X who lives Mm -hmm. in... China came up with that like concept, India, India. okay, India, uh, if I then solve that problem as well, not that I'm capable, but if I did, you am I very capable. am I appropriating that no, culture? I just, I'm
4: going to have to do a hard no on this one. A very hard no. And I, I mean, I think there have been a lot of discoveries in many parts of the world that many people use, because as people discover things, they become tools for others, right? And we have like, you know, a giant global economy and global bodies of knowledge. So- I no, I mean, I just can't wait to read that article. Like <laughs> I just I don't even know what to say. I,
0: I mean, I'm looking at this thinking when I first thought I thought, okay, if I use now, I, I don't know how to use it, but if I use an abacus, if mm-hmm. I were to figure out how to do it, am I appropriating Chinese culture because they used it? No, well, I would think, no, I'm just using a new tool to help me with my math. I don't
4: Yeah, I think that's correct. In fact, in grade two, one of my projects was I had to make an abacus. My grandfather helped me. It was great. Um, yeah, no, no, no.
0: Math doesn't seem to be appropriatable to me.
4: I, it's I don't. It's either you're right or you're wrong. I think, too, like the by the definition of what cultural appropriation is, I don't think that's what it is. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. using tools developed by another culture. Like, or bodies of knowledge learned. Like again, it doesn't really make sense if you're going to say we culturally appropriated math, and we've culturally like we've culturally appropriated everything, like every single thing, right? Because
0: if I learn a different language, and also am like, I not where a- was your
4: computer made? Like, who invest? You, you know what I mean? Like, there's like, yeah, if you learned a lot another language, like you're not culturally appropriating. From I just that. the
0: other part about this. We got to go to a break in a sec. The other part about this know. that really uh, sort of baffles me a little bit is that. I just think that we need to make math easier for kids to follow and understand rather than throwing new layers of complications and social landmines and everything into it. If you want to learn what 3 plus 3 is, don't tell me you have to do it a certain way or else somehow you've appropriated someone or oppressed your neighbor.
4: (laughs) Yeah, and I think too, like, this is the kind of stuff that happens when people can't solve the actual problems. They start creating other problems. Like, have you heard the purple elephant theory? When I took graphic design, we always talked about when you're dealing with a hard client, you know, design your thing how they want it, but stick a purple elephant in it. And what that means is stick a really obvious mistake in there so they don't critique your actual work. They focus on that problem and then that problem's easy to solve because you created it on purpose and then they like the work. right? So it's like, that's what they're doing. This is a purple elephant.
0: I like that. My purple (laughs) elephant right now is running overtime. So can you stick around? (laughs) We got something else to do. It's not really math, but can you stick around for one more segment? Totally. (laughs)
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Let us head westward, as my next guest did. Early, I think it was early this morning. Early this morning or early yesterday, I'm not sure. But Bubba O'Neill joins us from Calgary, Alberta. How are you, sir?
2: Early this morning, my friend.
0: Was it this morning?
2: Yeah, this time difference thing kind of gets you a little bit.
0: (laughs) Already? It's only an hour, right? Or is it two? Two hours. Two hours. Okay, two hours
2: few hours hours—it's kind of messes you up a little bit, and it also extends your workday somehow mysteriously.
0: Well, that too. You're so Bubba is overworked and jet lagged already, and <laughs> and it's Grey Cup week, so you're probably already what into seven or eight wobbly pops. Uh well, no, there'll be none of that. This works <laughs> to do tomorrow morning,
2: and fact, it's still the you know the big awards banquet goes tonight. That's at, true. Uh, seven thirty at night. Five Tiger Cats up for major awards, so it could be a good. Uh, Good day for Hamilton before we even get on the play play uh, kick off the the big game okay before
0: we get to the game you said five tie cats up for major awards which one in your mind which one is the absolute lockdown guaranteed award winner for a tie cat?
2: Well I may hop back on the plane and come back if, if Brandon banks doesn't win most outstanding player
0: All right all right see I I I agree with you that he should win. Uh, although I don't know that F- Cordy Fajardo from Saskatchewan is a ridiculous pick, but I, I think Brandon Banks, would, I would say the lockdown one. How do you not have Orlando Steinauer as coach of the year?
2: Um. Y- yeah. Uh, y- you know, funny, I am going to be honest with you. When all of this came out in the nominations, I there was something that, you know, because there's an attitude sometimes in, in sports that when teams are sort of there, when you take over as a first-year coach, or if you take over a team with a tremendous amount of talent, people kind of shy away to the team that made the most improvement, and that team was the Montreal Alouettes. So I was wondering if if Kari um, uh, uh, Jones was going to sort of come from behind yep, and yep. steal it from Orlando, at least for the Eastern Division Coach of the Year. So. Uh, I do see your point. I mean, with now this, that it's,
0: it's between like that. him and Craig Dickinson, though, I mean, Calgary didn't have a good year by Calgary standards. I just don't know how Steinauer, with a record-setting year, doesn't take this one. I really don't.
2: The, well, the Dickinson was, remember, the Saskatchewan Dickinson. Or oh, sorry,
0: sorry, yes, yeah, yeah. But even so, even 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 them, it was a, uh, it was an oh, it was a it was a good year, but it yeah, wasn't record-setting. Yeah. It wasn't mind-blowing. It was good.
2: No, no, I and mean, I mean, you're right. This was a record record-setting year for for. Uh, you know, Orlando and, of course, the Hamilton Tiger Cats franchise. I mean, never, never had a season with 15 wins ever. And you're right. I mean, and, and I think the, I'm just saying, we've seen in sports, in many sports, that sometimes the obvious guy sometimes gets overlooked. I mean, really, when you go back and you think about the NBA, um, should Phil, shouldn't have Phil Jackson gotten the coach of the year every
0: year? Except that he had Michael Jordan and everyone said, well, look, he's got Michael Jordan. Exactly. I mean, anybody can coach exactly.
2: that way. Exactly. And this is why I'm saying people will say, oh, well, look at the Tiger Cats lineup. Even though they lost Mazzoli, I mean, they had a guy that stepped right in, but they also had all of that talent. So really, how much coaching was really involved? And I'm I'm being sarcastic here, but there is sometimes in sports that kind of that mindset that, uh, you know, the coach that actually had the best team sometimes gets overlooked.
0: I wonder if coaching, if any coaching award was going to be made in this area today after the Mike Babcock situation, if they might not give more credit to coaches who have talented teams and still manage to get them to go in the right direction. I think that Babcock's situation probably makes someone like Cito Gaston back in the World Series days look even better. Yeah, he had a bunch of talent, but he was able to get them all pulling in the same direction.
2: And I think you said the key phrase, they're pulling all in one direction. Sometimes we've seen over the years that teams with tremendously talented players are sometimes the hardest to coach or the hardest to manage because they're either preset in their ways, they're all superstar players, they all want equal time or more time than the other. Um, You know, sometimes egos clash. And I think what Cito did, obviously, back in those days was just, I mean, made a, a, a team... Almost family. I mean, and they would say that to a man. I mean, I I don't know how many times I've seen interviews with numerous players from that team, and to a man, they all say, you know, the most important man on that team was the manager. They're very, very united in that, and I think that's that's a good sign of. uh, You know, uh, that Cito Gaston was, you know, uh, a guy that really deserved maybe a little bit more respect than some people gave him, you know, not only around the major leagues, but just in our area as well.
0: Okay, so let's go through very quickly. I want to get to the game, but very quickly, the five Ticats who are up, give me your percentage on them winning on this one. Uh, Most outstanding player, Cody Vajardo for the West, Brandon Banks for Hamilton from the East. Your percentage on Banks winning? Yeah, 90. Okay, I'll go with that. I'll go with that one for sure. Ah, uh, most outstanding defensive player, Willie Jefferson from Winnipeg for the West, Simone Lawrence from Hamilton for the East. I'm
2: wondering if him if Simone breaking the all-time tackling record in that game against Winnipeg might give him the edge. I mean he's had an outstanding year. and I know there's been the suspensions, you know for hitting uh, Zach Claros, but really, Simone was just a beast this year i and-
0: yeah, I think that that I think that may hurt him a little bit with some of the voters. The fact that he had that right, cheap right. shot on Caleros, I think that may play against him. I'm I'm going to say forty percent for Lawrence. Okay. Uh, most uh, outstanding lineman: Stanley Bryant for Winnipeg, uh, Chris Van Zyl for Hamilton.
2: I think Bryant only because, and, and I'm going to probably go lean in the, in the sixty-five to seventy percent zone only because I think he's been up for this award three straight, three consecutive years.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll go 40 again with Van Zyl. I think it's 60% for Bryant. Uh, and uh, two more. Mike Miller for special teams player out of Winnipeg. Frankie Williams for Hamilton special teams player.
2: 80% for Frankie Williams. So versatile. Does so many things. Returns, kicks. I mean, has had some going for touchdowns, but not even just the ones that go for touchdowns. Uh, I just had a knack all season long for being a consistent game-changer.
0: on that one I'll give uh, Williams. So I've got right now, I've got two guys that I'm locking in for almost for sure, those two. And then Coach of the Year, Craig Dickinson from Saskatchewan, Orlando Steinauer from Hamilton. I'm going 99.999% on Steinauer.
2: Yeah, I mean, hey, what can you say? I mean, what a special man he is. What a special, I mean, you know what? I was thinking about this, you know, you're thinking about where he came from um, as a player, you know, as a guy who would coach the Argonauts and the relationship with O'Shea and all of this kind of stuff. I mean, there's so many storylines, you know, when it comes to him coaching in this Grey Cup game. And I think to myself, you know, here's a guy that uh, he, didn't, he didn't even, he wasn't even sure if he was going to coach. He was more interested in just going into the business world you know as he said i didn't know if i wanted to do that to my family right in putting you know in terms of the the dedication and the hours and all that that it takes and then when he finally did and then he ended up coming to hamilton and then leaving and then coming back i mean did he ever see this coming i mean and and when he left to go to fresno state for that one year to a man i cannot remember scott so many players that were happy for him because it was a good career move for him that were upset that he left. I, I can't remember a, a, a coach that had that many players. Because remember, he was coaching the defense at that time. And I remember doing, you know, scouting the room and talking to several defensive players. And they were, you know, one player it was in tears. He was really, really sad, you know, that he had gained that much respect for the man. And again, it brought the defense together. So again, we talk about, you know, making teams families and bringing together, you know, especially with a football team where there's so many players and you're able to meld together and, and bring together attitudes and Look, and it, players with different types of you know backgrounds and all of that. And, you're right well, on.
0: You're right on. And here's the thing that I will say about Orlando Steinauer, and I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. The Hamilton Ticats have had talented teams in the past number of years. They have had great players that should have done better. And so if the Ticats can finish this thing off this year and if they can win the Grey Cup for the first time in 20 years – sure you can give some praise to the front office and you give some praise to the players the fact is the one guy the one thing that is really new on this team is the head coach and the change that he brought and so yeah whatever you want to say about the front office or the players anything else Orlando Steinauer to me is the guy that made this happen it really is
2: yeah it's hard not to argue with that Scott and it's funny how how life is sometimes and how you know opportunities come and go and you know Hey, I don't think any of us would have been upset if June Jones remained the head
0: coach of this team going forward. But I don't um, know if you would have had this result.
2: No, no, no. I'm just saying, I, I was okay. I liked June. I think he was—he was the guy that you know changed changed the room from you know, the previous head coach in Ken Austin. Um, and I know that the players were happy to you know for June's voice, and I think he helped turn around some attitudes. And um, but yet it was him that stepped aside. That said, you know, I, I think that you know, this going forward, that this is a better move for the team. Um, you know, whether it was selfish on his saying he had other plans, or you know, he wanted to go back to the states, or whatever it was, stuff we'll really never know. But him stepping aside allowed this to happen. And the rest is history,
0: as they say, yeah, i as i say i i think, or I think Steinauer has been the magical elixir. He's been the piece that has been missing. You had Kent Austin, who was you know a tough guy, who was a hard man, who went hard at the players and pushed them hard, very babcockian in a lot of ways. And you went to June Jones, who was kind of the complete opposite of him, seemed to be a real player's coach and, and really kind of, I'm not going to say didn't take it seriously. Of course he did, but very different. And now you get a guy who kind of walks up the middle and finds the best of both of those things and gets the best out of his players. So anyway, let us move along here because we do have a game. And uh, before we get started on that, what, is, what are the conditions like out there? Because, uh, I mean, is it typical Calgary right now? Is it freezing your butt off kind of cold?
2: Well, no, we, we're having better weather than you. I mean, I, I, I just checked, I checked the, you know, I was watching, you know, in the last couple of hours, I was watching the newscast, I mean, today's newscast, and, and all this rain that you're having in Hamilton and kind of an ugly day. Today was bright, sunny, uh, four degrees. I went out and did a little report and standing beside McMahon Stadium, and it, this was at about probably, I'm going to say, about 2, 3 o'clock this afternoon. And it's been bright and sunny all day long. Now, they had a good, healthy dumping of snow two days ago, probably about 10 to 15 centimeters. But if it continues, which it looks like it's going to in terms of the temperature, a lot of this snow might just melt away. So who does
0: you that help? Who does that help? Because I'm looking at Winnipeg, and regardless of his drug ban or not, uh, Andrew Harris, to me, is the best running back in this game. Sure, he is. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to tip the scales. But if this thing were to get really ugly weather-wise and frigid, 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 so it's hard to catch a ball if you're a receiver, that would seem to benefit Winnipeg.
2: Yeah, but it's not going to. I mean, I would look at the long-term part. I mean, it, it, from what it, it, from what everyone is saying around here, they're they're thinking it's going to be anywhere. They've had temperatures as high as eleven the last couple of days. So it looks like it's gonna be high high single digits uh come Sunday. So That well, would benefit be, Hamilton, no? The, I, I, well yeah, there's no doubt. Hamilton wanna push the ball down the field through the air. That's just the way they play the football game. And if they need to, they can, you know, offset the the, the, the a little bit of passing with some with some running or actually change, you know, kind of surprise people with the run. But that's just the way they're you know, the way they play the game. But I think, you know, Winnipeg, I think they're definitely more of a balanced pass attack. Hey, you know, in these games, Scott, I always say, especially if the weather's going to hold up like this, it's really going to come down to the team that is more prepared in terms of execution. You know what? The big spotlight. You can't make mistakes. We've seen it in the Super Bowl. We've seen it in the Grey Cup. The team that turns the ball over is the team that's going to lose, plain and simple. Um, Both these teams don't turn the ball over tremendously. They're both very good at hanging on to the ball. Um, and I think that's really what it's going to come down to because I think at the end of the day, Hamilton are obviously, they have to be the favorite. Yes, They defeated this team twice. One of them in the most recent one in blowout style. The other one was a really, really close contest, uh, and uh, I just, I, 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 I would be shocked. I got to say it. I don't know if I'm being a homer, Scott, but I'd be shocked if Hamilton don't bring back the Grey Cup
0: I would too, but there's one piece, and we only have a couple minutes, there's one thing different with Winnipeg right now that was not there in both of those losses.
2: No, don't say it.
0: <laughs> you, can't, you can't get away from the fact that Zach Caleros has been terrific yeah. since he went into a Winnipeg yeah. uniform and has played, I don't know, I don't think he's playing as well as he did in Hamilton when he was an MOP candidate, but he's been very, very good for them, and I, I, he to me is the X factor. If he is a guy who can play at his best, Hamilton's got its hands full.
2: Three starts, three wins. Hard to hard to argue with that with his success. They've made the right move there. Um, what a great move! I mean, Chris Strebler, the guy, he just can't pass the ball, you know, consistently enough. He's a big body running style quarterback. Remember, long long ago when they had Matt Nichols, you know, as they started out, and I think they were off to a really good five and one, six and one start. And then he, you know, blew out his shoulder. And they ran the Strebler thing, and they made a real wise, smart, smart, heady decision to go out there in October and get Zach Caleros and, you know, basically playing his third team within a season. And you're right. He has not disappointed. And, boy, you're going to tell me he's not motivated. He will not say it, but he has to be motivated to play the Tiger Cats. He has to be motivated to somehow, you know, even though they say they've kissed and made up, you're not telling me he doesn't want to beat Simone Lawrence after what happened to him on the third play of the year when he's with Saskatchewan? Which is either I'm a benefit. Be a highly motivated man.
0: Which is either a good thing or a bad thing if you're a Winnipeg fan because the one you want guys to be motivated. The flip side is we've seen athletes before who get so jacked up for a game that they don't play their best because it's just, it's so big a moment for them. And and I don't think it's so big a moment for Caleros, but I'm not, you know, if he starts trying to do too much, all that magic that he's brought disappears. And and who knows then? But look, here's the one thing. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction because I think those things are pretty stupid most of the time because we don't really know. But I will say, I I really do not expect this to be a blowout game either way. I think this is going to be a watch it into the fourth quarter game.
2: I I, I gotta admit I'm 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 not feeling that way, Scott. You you think it's going to be a blowout? I think I think this is a game that probably was going to be within a touchdown or two at halftime, and by the time the the you know the sort of uh, the meetings are held with the coaches and players and the adjustments are made, I think Hamilton have this persistent offensive attack that just keeps coming at you. It just it's relentless, and. You know, for, for the for the fact that he didn't even start the season as the first spring quarterback, this Dane Evans, I think he maybe has a stronger arm than 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 Zach. Uh, sorry, than uh, Jeremiah Masoli, and the development of all their wide receivers, he has so many tools, and he's very smart at distributing the football. Uh, he's gonna throw a pick or two every once in a while, but he just keeps coming at you, and I don't know any defense in the Canadian Football League can continue to take you know, almost 60 minutes of that, that relentless pressure. Well, there you I go. Think, Bub- I, think, I, think, I think Winnipeg just kind of cave in eventually by the fourth quarter. There
0: it is. Bubba O'Neill calling the Ticats to win by at least 50 points in the Grey <laughs> Cup. You heard it here. I don't think he said the number, but that's my interpretation of what you were saying. At least 50.
2: Each one of you in Hamilton can... Can decipher that as
0: however you wish. <laughs> Enjoy Calgary. Try. Well, I was gonna say stay warm, stay cool. Peel off a few layers now. Maybe maybe time to pull out the speedo and just like chill out in the beaches of Calgary. There by the sound of it. Dude, but, I gotta. I, I
2: have to admit, I, I was shocked. I could not believe the, the weather, the way it's, it,
0: it, it was shocking. Uh, you can it, see it, all of Bubba's reports. Chch. He'll be filing left, right, and center. Do you, they don't make you do the weather for Hamilton from out there for the news? Do they? <laughs>
1: though no, okay. gave
2: me a little pardon. Gave me, it's a pardon, a little
0: pardon. A little pardon for a few days, but he'll be doing lots on the Great Cup. Hey, thanks for taking the time today, Bubba. Enjoy it out there.